But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Hello everyone, so good to uh, be with you again. We are continuing on in our series, uh, Christmas Unlike Any Other, looking at the incarnation of Jesus, which is the coming of Jesus at Christmas time. And we're looking at how that affects some of the key issues that we have faced as a nation uh, this year. And the issue that we are going to be looking at today is the issue of race, the issue of race. Now, if you hadn't noticed, I am a black man. And uh, you may say, oh, Toby, I, I, didn't, I didn't notice you were black. I just don't see color. Uh, to which I'd say that's very admirable, uh, but um, I am indeed black. You better get yourself down to Specsavers or another reputable opticians. And I think the, 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 the moments I started to realize that I was black was really uh, from a very, very young age. I, I grew up in a place in uh, Surrey called Camberley, and um, there are very, very, very few black people around in those days. And I just remember being invited to parties, Christmas, well, birthday parties rather, with my friends, and uh, they would receive gifts uh, like dinosaurs, cars, and, you know, action men. And I remember once or twice on my birthday receiving uh, Lynx Africa. I just thought I had, like, a BO problem, um, but perhaps it wasn't the case. Now, around the same time, I uh, would uh, watch Power Rangers. I was a big fan of their work. Uh, I would watch every Saturday uh, morning, and uh, inevitably, in the playground, uh, we would play Power Rangers. And what would happen is the leader of the group would say, um, okay, guys, we're gonna play Power Rangers. So I'm gonna be the Red Ranger, uh, Sam, you, you can be the Blue Ranger and the Black Ranger. Hmm. Hmm. I know. Toby, you be the Black Ranger. And I'd say, I don't want to be the Black Ranger. I want to be the Red Ranger. They were insistent. Now, I would say uh, episodes like this didn't really affect me growing up until you realised the name of the Black Ranger was Zack. And that happens to be what I called my firstborn son. Uh, fast forward to uh, my time in university, uh, where I um, uh, would uh, sort of worked part-time in, in a call centre just to get a bit of income in. And I remember one occasion where uh, one of the managers in the call centre uh, came up to me and started to talk to me. And it was face-to-face. -face. And uh, the only issue was that um, as they were talking to me, I realised that... Uh, he thought that he was talking to the other black guy on the floor. Uh, and I, I, to be honest, I, I, I just played along. I thought it was quite funny. Um, but I do remember thinking as we were speaking sort of face to face, I've worked there for quite a while by this point, I was thinking that, I mean, we do have different faces. And even if you thought we had the same face, we are kind of wearing different clothes. 
And I'm pretty sure uh, Winston had a Jamaican accent, which I don't think I have. Another time, um, a, a guy came over to me excitedly and said, where are you from? And when I get that question, it usually means, where are you from originally? Like, where's your family heritage from? Which is okay. And I said, well, I was born in Nigeria. Uh, I was met with actually quite an excited response. Uh, he said, okay, great. Do you know Sade? Now, bearing in mind there are over 200 million Nigerians on the planet, uh, I, I couldn't get my head around whether he expected me to have a personal relationship with 1980s pop sensation Sade, or just like Sade from down the road. Either way, if you know anything about me, you will know that I'm married to my wonderful wife, Nina, who is white British, although technically a quarter German, and therefore our son, Zachary, is mixed race. But I want to say, I, I don't speak to you today on the topic of race with the authority of being black, nor do I choose to speak to you on this topic with the authority of having myself a diverse family. Rather, I choose to speak to you as a Christian, uh, seeking to look at the, the highest authority, the authority of God, or God's word, the authority of passages like we heard read, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 to 16. Now, when we take a look at the Bible and what it says about race and diversity, the issue really is far greater than we may even dare to imagine. It's a topic that is on the first page of the Bible and through the Bible, even to the last pages of the Bible. Literally on page one. In Genesis chapter one, God created our first parents, Adam and Eve. And in verse 28 of Genesis chapter one, he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. With God looking for multiple and manifold peoples to populate the earth. Fast forward right through to the end of the Bible in Revelation where the book speaks of the church, this, this kind of heavenly kingdom of people. And one of the repeated refrains from that book is, God is wanting every, people from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. When we look at the penultimate chapter of the Bible, the second to last chapter, Revelation chapter 21, verse 26, it says this. It talks about Christians going into heaven and it says that they will bring with it, with them, the glory and honour of the nations. The glory and honour of the nations. Let me say this. Very few things make it from this life to the next. One of those things is the redeemed glory and honour of the nations. What dignity God gives our earthly cultures. Furthermore, Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, would say something, I suppose, rather surprising when you think about it. He, he says this. He says, this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then, and then the end will come. What does this mean? Well, amongst other things, it means that the issue of diversity is so important to Jesus that he would even hold off his return until the good news about himself is sufficiently preached to all nations. Therefore, 
the Bible is clear. God is clear that the different cultures and tongues and tribes and people groups on earth are to be seen as treasure. The Bible would be unambiguous that diversity serves to enrich our experience of life in this age and will even play a key role through faith in Jesus in life in the next age. Nevertheless, the issue of diversity is all too often used as a tool to separate rather than celebrate. And perhaps we've had that conversation this year more than any other in recent memory. But it's important to say the the issue of discrimination, the issue of racism is not a new phenomena. On the contrary, it's a very, very, very old phenomena. In fact, the conflict between people groups is one of the recurring themes in this book. I'll give you an example. If you've been with us for any sort of length of time, you will know that we have kind of just finished coming out of looking at the great book of Exodus, spending nine weeks looking at it. Exodus, a time in history when the Old Testament people of God, Israel, are made slaves of by an African nation, Egypt. Racism of epic proportion, book two of the Bible, early on. But where did it come from? Well, if we were to look at the origins of racism, where, where did this, why is it even in existence? If we are to look at the origins, we really need to not look at book two, we need to look at book one, Genesis. And what may come as a surprise to you is that uh, racism doesn't begin with man and man. It actually derives its origin from man and God. You see, in Genesis chapter 1, as I've said, God created our first parents and he would give them tremendous responsibility. But in amongst the responsibility, there would be one restriction. And that one restriction was that they were forbidden from eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the forbidden tree. And many of us will know that that's exactly what they did. And and we call this the the fall of humanity. This is Genesis chapter three, page three of your Bibles. The fall of humanity, or the fall for short. And the fall would be the first ever human sin. But not only would it be that, but because, because God doesn't look like us, because God brings with him a culture very different to our culture, alien, foreign to our culture. And because God seeks to take residence in our society, though he emanates from another kingdom, another world, the first ever human sin and all of our sins would actually be a rejection of God's culture. It would birth the ideology of supremacy, that is human supremacy over God rather than human humility before God. And therefore, our first parents who at one time walked in the garden of paradise would abuse their privilege. And this this spiritual DNA has been passed down the generations through to our generation, passed down from Adam and Eve, even through to you and to me. 
the seeds of discrimination and racism are present in human nature, all human nature, black and white. This is what comes sadly naturally to us as humans. You only need to look at how children can play together, maybe even in a playground. So often they will exclude those that don't look like them, don't speak like them, don't act like them and, and gather in those that do. That, that's just sadly, because of the fall, how we are. And, and crucially, crucially, this brings with it what our passage in Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, verse 14, calls the dividing wall of hostility. The dividing wall of hostility, that's important. That's hostility from humanity to God. And this wall, this dividing wall of hostility, it's, it's not merely theological or theoretical. No, it's, it's practical and experiential. If I might be so bold, you've experienced this. Hostility from you to God. Even, all of us have, even, even if it was at one time. And what the hostility to God looks like so often for us is that we, we can accuse God of being the problem. When we, we do things, we can act like God's opinion doesn't really matter. So often we, we don't like how he speaks. And if we're not careful, we can even accuse God and his culture of being primitive compared to ours. And in this, these are the seeds of racism. These are the seeds of discrimination. And they don't start man to man. They start man to God. And this, this is important to know because we, we, we then borrow the, 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 the bricks from the great wall of hostility between man and God, we borrow those bricks and use those bricks to make mini walls of hostility between man and man. Meaning that because of the fall, humanity is hostile to God and God's culture, as a result, hostile to human cultures that don't look like home culture. Dear friends, this is the origin of racism not the atrocities of the slave trade, not the atrocities of World War II, but the atrocity of Genesis chapter three. And we do well to hold on to that. We do well because it helps us view the sin of racism as a sin first against God and helps us to see the, the broader story of God in light as well. It also prevents us from removing God out of the historical record and creates a room, therefore, for God's uh, redemptive and historic response in sending his one and only son, Jesus. Therefore, a knowledge and understanding of the origin of racism, a knowledge and understanding of Genesis chapter 3 is vital because, dear friends, who's to say that all races should be treated equally anyway? What with the influence of Darwinian thinking, survival of the fittest? No, you know, you know, you know, that's not right. You know it. You know Genesis chapter one, verse 27 is right when it says that God made all men and women 
all races in his image and likeness. You know that is true. It's in you. Therefore, any conversation about racism is a conversation about God. And we do well to address racism at its root and not merely its fruit. This is what this stuff does. Because like a weed in the garden, if we just address the fruit, it will just grow back. Meaning, slogans and acronyms, they're not able to address the root. They can't. Of course they can't. They don't, they don't address the why. Why? Why? Are they bad? Not necessarily. Probably not, by no means. But in and of themselves, without a more compelling message, without the message of Jesus, the best we can hope for is good manners. While heart defaults, patterns of thinking, systemic strongholds remain untouched. Friends, surely we want something more for our society. Surely we want to see more in our days. So how might we see this more? Well, commentators will cite education as being the, the, the way out of the sin of racism. And let me say this, education is, is vital. Education is mighty. Praise God for education and all those that work tirelessly in education. But I will say this, education alone cannot change the human heart. And, and we, we know this, right? We know this. Every motorist is educated uh, to never go over the speed limit. Educated to the point of being able to pass two tests. But we all know that as soon as the radio comes on and John Bon Jovi's living on a prayer comes on, all of a sudden the windows come down, that right foot gets a bit more uh, foot loose. And, and we just, you know, th what happens, happens. It shouldn't. Don't go over the speed limit. Um, but yeah, you see what I'm trying to say. Is the answer more education? I don't know that it is. So what's the answer that the Bible gives to radical racial reconciliation? The answer the Bible gives is in the passage that we have had read for us. In Ephesians 2 verse 14, it speaks of Jesus breaking down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility and Christians being brought near by his blood. Breaking down in his flesh, Christians being brought near by the blood. The solution to racial reconciliation, the solution the Bible gives, is Christmas, where Jesus receives flesh and blood. This, this is a solution that the great Martin Luther King understood. He, he, this was how he, he, he built his, his teaching and his, his, his practice on Jesus. Dr. Martin Luther King, gaining his doctorate in systematic theology of the Bible. He understood this stuff and saw great success in it as well. Therefore, the, the solution the Bible gives to radical racial reconciliation, a reconciled church, is not so much education 
but incarnation. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. Because as a result of being born at Christmas, Jesus would know and sympathise with those who have been targeted by those in society with privilege because Jesus was targeted by the Pharisees. As a result of being born at Christmas, Jesus would know what it's like to hear slurs made about where you come from. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? John chapter 1 verse 46. As a result of being born at Christmas, Jesus would experience what it's like to be a refugee, having to flee your home, fleeing his home for the safety of Egypt in Matthew chapter 2. As a result of being born at Christmas, Jesus would know what it's like to experience brutality at the hands of officers. Officers meant to protect. In John chapter 18, verse 22, at his trial, we read, it says, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, if what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? As a result of being born at Christmas, Jesus would know what it's like to have a race hate you and your forefathers because the human race has hated him and his father. As a result of being born at Christmas, Jesus wouldn't just extend the hand of friendship to humanity. Jesus would become humanity. He would take the hostility that humanity has for God because Jesus is God. He would also take the, the hostility that humanity has for humanity because Jesus became humanity. And it's not just what he received from this side of the wall of hostility. It's what he received from the other side of the wall of hostility, God's side. That's what the cross is about, receiving the hostility, the just judgment on man. Jesus took it on the cross so that through faith in him, you wouldn't have to, dear friend. But more than what Jesus would receive, it's through being born at Christmas who Jesus would represent. Being able to sufficiently represent God to man by offering salvation and offering and representing man to God by offering sacrifice. Therefore, through what Jesus would receive and who he would re represent, Jesus would be sufficiently able to bring together both sides of this wall of hostility in his body, the body he was given at Christmas. This is what it means when our passage says in Ephesians 2 verse 14, breaking down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. But, but what about... The, the, the racial tensions within humanity. Well, the reality is that the wider context of this passage, Paul, the, the writer of this letter to the Ephesians, 
he, he, he's explaining the, the relationship between uh, the, the Jewish person and the Gentile person. And if you've read this book, you know that uh, there is great conflict uh, right throughout the Bible between the Jew and the Gentile. And Gentile simply means anyone that's not a Jew, the, the whole non-Jewish world, if you like. But uh, these two uh, sides are very opposed to one another throughout the Bible. Uh, and it's uh, remarkable that Paul would say that in, in verse 15, that Jesus uh, would create in himself one new man in place of two, so making peace. Meaning that, meaning that if, if God can bring together through Jesus these, these two opposing cultures, he could bring together in true racial harmony any two cultures. Meaning that in the process of breaking down the great wall of hostility between man and uh, God, Jesus would break down the mini walls of hostility between man and man because Jesus at Christmas would become God-man. Meaning that of any way to God, of any belief system in the world, it would be only Jesus who is uniquely qualified as saviour through what he would receive and who he would represent because Jesus is in fact the son of God. Praise God for Jesus. A number... I mentioned at the beginning that I, I was born in Nigeria, but I, um, I, I, what I didn't mention is I'm also adopted and uh, it's not a secret. And growing up for me, it was um, quite difficult going places at times with my stepdad, um, just because he looked so different from me. Uh, he uh, is and was a uh, white, six foot three, 21 stone, former farm worker from the Isle of Wight. Uh, so not only was he white, uh, he was also from the Isle of Wight. You don't get any more white than that. Apart from when you realise his surname was, <laughs> was Western. Uh, you just can't write this stuff. Um, and and it going places for us would be difficult. He was wonderful. He'd take me to the park. We'd play football together, but we, we would uh, sometimes get looks from people. But there was one time that really stands out to me. Um, he took me to a restaurant, I think it was like a McDonald's, and he ordered, uh, he ordered for us, both of us. And we were met by the, the person behind the till and uh, they said, with disdain, and, and I mean with disdain, are you two together? I remember in that moment feeling like really embarrassed, like basically ashamed. I think I felt ashamed of being a black boy with a white stepdad in a white neighborhood. In fact, much of my childhood, I, I, I wanted to be white. But I'll never forget, I don't think, the response from my stepdad. I just remember very clearly him um, looking at me, putting his arm around me, holding me close, looking at the person and saying these words, this is my son. And in that moment, 
I experienced one of the reasons why Jesus came to earth. In that moment, I experienced someone with the heart of God the Father. Because my stepdad, he, he was not put off, not daunted by the wall of hostility in front of us. Just like God the Father would not be daunted, not be put off by the wall of hostility in front of him from humanity, from you, because of yours and my sin. No, he would send his only son, Jesus, to earth at Christmas time, so that by you giving your life to him, by believing in him, God himself might put his arm around you and hold you close and even declare you his very precious child. God bless you this Christmas.